If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. I lean on these two guys to pretty much allow me to live in that creative space authentically. And they handle a, a, a lot of the the tough situations where I can oversee a lot of a lot of things, but I'm still able to create. So I would say lean on your team, learn how to trust and learn how to fail quick. Back in that back in that bag again. Whoa, whoa, yeah, yeah. Hey guys, we're back with yet another episode of Making the Boss. This week, I chat with Bane's recording artist Blast and his business partners Victor Barrett and Carl Folks about their Eagle brand. We talk about how artists can boss up in the music business and not get taken advantage of, music ownership, why building a team you trust matters, and so much more. Check it out. Well, first off, thanks for talking to me. I'm really excited to learn more about you guys' company because with Blast, I know like he, everyone knows he does music, but like one of the main reasons I wanted to launch this podcast was to talk to people in the music industry about, you know, business. I feel like there's not a lot of spaces for that. So definitely excited that you guys are chatting with me. So what is Eagle exactly? Can you break it down? Yeah, I, I, I'll start. I mean, I'll let, I'll let Blast and Vic chime in, but um, it, it's really just a it's a it's a company that has a record label, has a pub company, um, has a merch side. Um, then we also invest. So, I mean, those are primarily the four things that we do um, at this juncture in time. But um, I, I, I think there's no opportunity that we're not willing to go into. I think I think you said it uh, best. I mean, we're a vertically integrated company. Um, often we refer to ourselves as an idea company, um, and more we run ourselves more as a startup company rather than um, just looking at ourselves like a music label. So, multiple different variations of what we do, but I mean, obviously, it all comes back to the head, which is blast making great music. Mm-hmm. So, what inspired the creation of the company? Like, what made you want to? launch your own brand versus just, you know, make music? <laughs> well, initially for me, it was it was just a thought process of feeling like it's better when a company represents you versus representing yourself, you know? So I wanted to put out music through a certain channel and, you know, be in control of the creativity side and have an input on how I wanted to operate in the, in the business space. So, you know, it was just a, a matter of me building my own team around me and, and, and the creativeness. Mm-hmm. And how did the three of you come together? Were you guys like longtime friends before? Because I know like to launch a brand together, you have to have a lot of trust with people. So how did you even have that bond to create, you know, your company? So initially I, I met Vic um, in Culver City. He used to run a studio and I would pretty much rent studio time from him just randomly, you know, and um, he had seen me bouncing in and out of there, just making my own beats and engineering myself. And he was like, yo, where your team at? Like, what you got going on? And I pretty much told him I was doing everything on my own. And he was like, yo, man, he he was just providing different strategies, like a content calendar and just helping me plan out things, you know, instead of just dropping music randomly. 
And um, I seen the benefits in it early on. Um, Carl had randomly reached out on Instagram. I think he seen one <laughs> of my songs early on, a song called Body for Bay. And uh, we, we had jumped on the call. And I would say literally like maybe a week later, he had flew out to L.A. And um, it was me, him, and Vic. We sat at the table and pretty much he um, he pretty much made it official between me and Vic as far as the manager side. Later down the line, we uh, made it ego official as well. Wow. Dope. So when you say, like, it's much easier for you as an artist to have your own brand and your own team, does it make it make things less stressful? I would say so. Yeah, I think that just from the perspective of delivering what you really want or really kind of like requesting what you want, it I think it takes some pressure off the artist's back to not seem like a prima donna, especially when we present it as these are company needs rather than just artist needs. So I think that's one thing that it alleviates. But I think it also allows us to have a larger conversation because we're talking about an entity that represents more than one person rather than just the individual. Mm-hmm. And Vic, you're his, your blast is manager, right? And then you also develop and manage a number of other artists under Hustle Right Consulting? Yep. So, I mean, I'm Blast manager. I'm also the president of the company. And then I represent a couple of producers and one of our other artists on the label as well. Okay. So, like, how important is it to you for artists to basically, you know, see their worth so early on in their career and boss up? Why do you think that's, you know, so important? Um, well, one, I mean, I think it just breeds longevity and you start thinking about planning for down the line. Most of the time when you are planning for down the line, that that calls for you to negate like in the moment decisions and, and kind of making decisions based off of emotion rather than logic. So, I mean, the first thing is for, I mean, every artist, I wouldn't even say that they even warrant ownership, right? Like a lot of them don't even have enough proof of concept to be able to come to the table and be like, hey, I want to own X, Y, and Z. But when you talk about early on, that gives you those chances to set those tones for when you walk into these buildings, you're able to negotiate properly just because like you set that tone for yourself. And if you actually put these measurables out, you have responses and you know you can get that return on income. So I mean, obviously, that's like a much deeper conversation when you start going into each different sector of, of how artists make money. But ultimately, I just think it's important just because it's, it's going to really determine the trajectory of your career. Yeah. No, I do want to, you know, go deeper into how, um, you know, artists make money, because, again, I feel like so many people, they only think about, you know, making music but they don't think about the logistics of, you know, the deals you have to do behind the scenes, the team you need behind the scenes in order to execute the deals. So for you, for someone who manages and mentors, like how can you spot when an artist is serious about wanting to, you know, be their own boss and have their own, you know, brand versus just talking? I mean, I think that majority of artists don't know with that take in the beginning anyway. It's kind of like, you know, majority of music artists, I wouldn't say all of them, but majority of them, I don't think have any prior work experience most of the time, especially in like a corporate structure. So just understanding just how to develop yourself into that and taking the right steps onto that. Um, But I think the biggest thing is work ethic, though. I think you can clearly see that through how bad somebody cares about it through their work output on a day to day. I mean, I think Blast mentioned it earlier. I was so intrigued by the fact that he was coming in by himself every day that my first thought was, how are you being productive? But on the flip side of it, when he showed me that he was doing his graphic design, doing his beats, mixing himself, recording himself, 
I'm like, damn, you overly dedicated. So I think that for me, at least, that was an immediate indicator of like, oh, he really serious about this. Mm -hmm. So like, how do you go about branding artists or even your company like to the best way possible? What's what's your process exactly for, um, you know, managing? I mean, I don't really think it's like a it's like a set in stone process. I mean, a lot of the stuff is like you got to take it as it comes to you. But on the flip side of that, though, I will say is just naturally digging into the principles that we stand on, <clears throat> um, whether it be our health choices, whether it be the things that we indulge in on a regular, um, our own extracurricular activities. So those are the number one things that it's easy to be like, OK, let's go invest in this because we can actually purchase these products and we can actually speak to it um, rather than us just kind of like blindly going after something. But I feel like branding in at its core is really just based off of who the person is and how you bring out those authentic intangibles about the person that the world may not really know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, cool. So Carl, um, I know you're a well-respected, you know, entertainment attorney. You're also a professor and the founder of your own legal firm. Can you talk about that some? Yeah, no, I think, um, you know, for me, you know, I, I started off just kind of, serving the underserved in the industry, right? And I, I think that person is the music producer. Producers struggle to get paid. You know, they don't understand their contracts. They're always getting jerked around in terms of points and publishing. Um, so for me, I had a natural affinity for music um, and I just felt like they were underserved and underrepresented. You know, I think for context, there's probably 100,000 music producers for every one attorney, right? That's just really wow. the nature of the business. So, um I really just started by serving that group and then that, that group just grew because you, you see one problem, um, then you start seeing them all, right? So um, I, I would say just the, the love for advocation um, is is where, where, where and why I started my legal practice. How exactly do you help artists, you know, attain their ownership or get ownership of their assets? Like what's the, do you have a process of how you go about that? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. I think Vic kind of alluded to it a little earlier too. I mean, you know, I think ownership is. I'll actually flip it. I think Vic said, you know, not every artist, uh, you know, I, I deserves to own it, right? Vic, am I? Am I? Is that right? Yeah, I say every artist doesn't warrant ownership. Okay, yeah, every artist does. I, I would actually flip it and say, you own it until you lose it, right? Like I actually think that everyone deserves ownership in their music, but you lose it and you lose it because you might be on a different pace. You might not be, hey, I'm not willing to take five to 10 years to make all the right steps, lose, you know, go through all these different trials and errors and and then eventually own my stuff, right? Because that's that's the Blast story. I know Blast talks about, you know, you know, everyone loves to talk about the last three or four years of Blast career, but the, the true Blast story is he's been doing this for, for 10 plus years. Right. So he's able to get to this point of ownership and success in his business because he took the the, the, the stairs. Um, so for me, it's more just helping them prioritize. I have a strategy called Lomo, length, obligation, money, ownership. So how long is that deal? You know, what's your obligations? You know, how much money are you getting? And then you get the last part, which is ownership. And um, every artist, I always tell my artists, rank them. You know, what's the most important to you? Is ownership the most important? Then you're going to have to compromise on all these other things. So um, it's it just it, 
sometimes it, it's it's a it's a strategy. It's a long term strategy. Okay, I have a theory. Correct me if I'm wrong, right? But I feel like a lot of artists today, I I don't know. I wouldn't say lazy is the correct term, but I feel like a lot of things nowadays are much more easier to obtain than it was back in the day in terms of like, you know, making your own music or, you know, creating your own platform, I guess. Would you say you've seen work ethics change um, in terms of people thinking it's much more easier to get their goal and, you know, get what they want in life because they feel like, all they have to do is, you know, put something, you know, online or on the internet and instantly they think they're going to just be like an overnight success. I feel like a lot of people may think that and they choose not to do as much work as someone like Blast, for example, who's been like doing it for 10 plus years. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I think that's spot on. I think, um, you know, I think the reality is, um across outside of music right that's just like a phenomenon right? mm-hmm. everybody it's instant gratification that's just the climate we live in um you know you're able to to go viral by just putting up a stupid tweet or you know putting <laughs> up a picture or you know that's just everybody seeks that instant gratification but um you know to really build these catalogs that we're seeing sell for 200 million plus right i just saw nelly sold uh i think half of his his yeah. catalog to, to harborview equity partners which is black black um you know hedge fund company buying uh, buying uh, catalogs but to get to that point it takes a long time like it really does and you got to make the right choices for your for yourself um and you can't think you know overnight and i think you know vic and blast for example are, are two people who always talk about you know training wheels like they could you know we could have took a, a totally different route to get to this point um you know but i think both of them are like yo i'd rather learn and you know and do this at our pace as opposed to rushing and doing a deal that we don't know and then all of a sudden we already lost ownership a lot of all of a sudden we already lost our leverage Mm -hmm. right so why do you think so many artists get taken advantage of so fresh in the business like what exactly do you think they're not taking heed to or taking seriously um I mean, to put it bluntly, themselves, right? They're not taking themselves seriously because um, I, I don't get into any business I ever got into just giving it up from the get-go. Like, that's like me starting my law firm and then giving away my top 10 clients, you know, mm-hmm. just because I wanted to do it, right? It, you, If you care about something um, deeply, you're willing to, to to be patient and take the long time, take the take the the stairs, right? I think Vic alluded it in where me and do me and Vic do agree in regards to ownership is, you know, a lot of these people aren't making music that is, it, it's not going to last. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's, twenty years, right? And you have to. Maybe it does make sense for someone to go sell their their music for five million dollars up front because it's it's not the type of music that's going to last. So um, Mm -hmm. everyone's building different things, right? And I think it's important to just know what you're building. Mm -hmm. Can you describe a three sixty deal? Because people hear that term often, but I don't think people really understand what that means. 
Yeah, three sixty deal is my favorite deal. No, I was, no I was joking. <laughs> I'm playing around. That's that's literally the the worst deal ever. I mean, um, and only only and for context, three sixty means you know a company's taking all income, right? So the whole pie, the full circle. They're taking your recording. They're usually taking your publishing. They're taking your merch. Um, wow. They're taking your touring. They're taking all your ancillary income and. It's only bad because of the terms, because I also could present another sort of 360 situation that might make sense, right? Imagine a world where an artist bundles those rights together. So I put my publishing, recording, touring, merch in one entity, and I, I give 10% of that company up for a, a large sum, right? That's a little bit more attractive. That's like, okay, you know, I, I'll give up 10% of my pie and you give me you know, $3 million. Right. Because it's, you know, it's, that's just equity. The way it's, the way it's structured in the record business is they're in control of your records, right? Because they're only going to pay you 18%. Um, and then it, on a royalty and then all the other stuff, they're not really contributing to, but they're taking, right? They're not helping you book your touring, but they're going to take your touring. They're not really helping you with your merch business. They're going to, they're going to take your merch business. So wow. it's, it's, it's messed up. So what do you get? Like if they take everything as a an check. artist, you, a check. And um, I also would say you, you get to say that you're signed to a major label. Right. And oh, wow. I think a lot of people, a lot of people care about that, you know? Wow. <laughs> That's interesting. Okay. So can you also describe what payola is as well? Because people always also hear that. I see you big laughing. <laughs> yeah. Pay, pay for play payola. Um, yeah, I mean, I think in the music industry, you most often hear that in the radio business, right? Just, you know, um, payola is a, a radio thing. Um, uh, because the reality, most things in business are you give someone $10, they do something for you, right? I mean, it's just, that's just the nature of it. Um, when it's unregulated and it is against the rules, um, the way that a lot of the payola that happens in radio, that's when it's bad. Payola, it, it's it's more it's really a radio thing that, um, but you know I, I don't I don't think it's so much happening in the streaming area because you know there there is the possibility that some people are paying, you know, Spotify, Apple, and all these companies off the record for placements on on some of their uh, uh, top playlists, right? That that could that could be happening, but I I don't I don't know if that that's a thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I would add in too, like. <clears throat> I mean, we've done several radio campaigns um, and it's not so prevalent now just because radio doesn't hold the same weight that it used to as far as breaking artists and then just being the only avenue for artists to be heard nationally. Mm -hmm. nationally. But I mean, you what you end up really paying for, you end up paying for a radio team to go out and pretty much like work your music for you. Like you really just kind of like paying for people to go in these buildings and service out the song and talk to their radio programmers and the relationships that they've already had pre-existing to be like, Hey, I think you should feature this on the radio. It's kind of, it's kind of much like PR, like you can pay PR, they can pitch you, but it doesn't mean a publication has to accept it. Right. Right. Okay. That makes sense. So this is a question for anyone. Um, why is owning your publishing so important? Because um, I think it was Simba. He did an interview some time ago and he said, um, he said basically like sometimes he doesn't think it might be worth it only because depending on what your music is worth at the moment, 
it might not be worth owning your publishing, at least not yet. So like, why do you think um, it's so, why do people think it's so important and would you agree with that? Anyway. <laughs> I, I want to hear what, uh, I want to hear what Vic and Blast got to say about this. Leah's going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what was the question again? You saying, why is it so important to own? Yeah. Why do you think people think it's so important? Because some people do think it's important. And then other people think that if your music isn't worth that much, not yet, at least, it, it doesn't make sense to own your publishing, you know? So I mean, what do you think about that? I definitely feel like it's a case by case thing, you know, like what Carl said, some people music may not be even nothing to invest in for the long term, you know. So for me personally, I would say it's important to be in control of whatever you're trying to leverage from the jump. You know, in, in my case, I want to build something to where it's beneficial for my family as well, not only me. So why not be in control of whatever I'm going to do with it, whether I'm leveraging it to sell later or whether I want to benefit it and eat from it now? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and kind of, I think blasting on something that, that's perfect is really the goal of owning your master's isn't to, to say you own it. It's to really to find the best time in your life to maximize that asset. That's really it's just another asset in your portfolio. Just like real estate, you know, we always talk about someone buying a house for for twenty k and then selling it for a million dollars. Well, what if that's the case, you know, in music, right? Somebody, you know, spends and gets a deal worth two million dollars, still owns it, or you know, spends, you know, I don't know how much Blast has put into his craft per se, but what if he puts in two million and then someone comes across, you know, ten years, twenty years from now and says, "I'll give you two hundred million for that." You would say that's a very, very good flip, right? But you're only mm -hmm. able to to participate in that if you own. Mm -hmm. Right. Vic, do you have anything to say or no? Um, I mean, I, I agree with the the case by case basis. I mean, it's it's kind of like whatever the strategy calls for at the time, um, as long as it's really like what Blast kind of said, you know, you want to be able to dictate or and Carl, you want to be able to dictate what you're doing now and later. So, I mean, you know, it's kind of like that thing when they say bet on yourself. I mean, if you really think you like that and you really think that you could turn that around, then I feel like you, you end up playing a long game with it. But you also got music genres to where you got like pop and rock and stuff where it's like a very, um, a lot of people contribute to those records. So it's like when you start breaking down percentages, sometimes it don't even make sense to hold on to that type of stuff because you don't even have majority ownership anyway. So, mm -hmm. So I said, I think it's whatever the strategy calls for. But if you do have, if you do have the autonomy to be able to um, stand on it and own what you got, and you really making good music, then I will vote for ownership all the time. What do you think is the number one business mistake that you see a lot of artists, both old and new, make today? Anyway, me, I think that it's uh, artists not wanting to be perpetual students. Like you, you get into a certain space and you think that, you know, you hit your pinnacle or you you've expressed a certain expertise and you kind of fail to keep studying and you fail, you fail to keep studying the landmark. I mean, all three of us on this call between me, Carl and Blast, we come with different talents. We come with different perspectives. So it'll behoove us to go and learn what Carl knows and it'll behoove Carl to come learn what we know as well. And also with Blast, Blast too. 
um, throughout just this whole business journey for us. I know me speaking personally, it's a lot of new business things that I that I've been able to add to my own acumen um, that I may not have really known early on. And I did go to college and I got a master's degree. So it's like college and education doesn't necessarily add up to real life business experience. But mm-hmm. for me, my my personal viewpoint on it is just that artists really have to stay students and keep studying what we are doing as we keep elevating because the contracts get more lengthier and they have more concise conversation, the better and the bigger you get. Mm-hmm. Right. I agree. So that's a great um, segue because I was going to ask all three of you, what did you guys learn from one another? So Vic, you kind of answered that, but do you want to elaborate on what Blast um, and Carl have taught you like on a yeah. deeper level? For sure, yeah. for sure. Um, I mean, well, Carl, he has these music business exams. So I like to take those all the time and try to stay sharp. I think I failed probably like the first four times, which kind of let me know, like, I really didn't know nothing in the beginning <laughs> when, I, when I first met Carl. So I think that that's the number one thing. Him being a professor allows us to have so much intellectual dialogue that challenges our perspective. And we don't agree on everything either. So it's like more times than none. It's, it's a, a lengthy argument uh, for that. <laughs> But it's all in good faith, though. And then even with Blast, too, um, I think I've taken more from Blast personality traits than anything. Um, Blast is very much so not a reactive person. And so him being able to think through things and, and kind of be able to take his time and process information um, where I'm I just come from an athletic background and just more so like uh, do it, do it, do it. Blast watching Blast allows me to kind of sit back and analyze a little bit more where I'll take my steps at. Okay. Carl, what did you learn from these two? Yeah. I, I, I hate this question. Cause now I gotta, I gotta be nice. <laughs> uh, <laughs> nah, um, I, I, I'd say for blast, I think just patience, right? Like, I think he's, uh, he's like a creative that, you know, likes to take his time. He's not really caught up in a lot of the social media stuff and a lot of the gimmicks, a lot of games. So, Somebody's really appreciating the the process and doesn't have to compete or um, compete with the, the the nonsense out there. Some people, you know, it's like when you jump into the pig pen, you are a pen. He's not a pig. He's not a he's not an artist who listens or needs any of that 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 stuff. So that patience has taught me a lot as I build my company. Right, like it's cool to know what your competitors are doing, but at the end of the day, you got to be building what you're building and, and be confident in what you're building that. Um, what you're building is the best or is 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 able to compete. So I think his his patience and confidence. And uh yeah, I think Vic, I think his his ability sort of he just embraces the tough combo, right? Like, you know, there's conversations that a lot of people don't want to have in life. Right. And I think Vic has a skill where um he wants to have those conversations. And you know, in business, um that's make or break. You know, a lot of conversations that, you know, people don't have um are the reason why you know relationships end but you know we're able to have these these tough you know conversations um externally and internally and um and i think we're all better for it mm-hmm. yeah I, I definitely will piggyback off that as far as vic just leaning on you know team building and things like that embracing them uncomfortable conversations but even uh, I would say one thing I learned from Vic as well is just understanding my own power. He always preached like, you know, this is your world. You can build it however you want to. You know, sometimes I, I get a little too humble, but he showed me that, 
you know, I, I can build the world however I want, however I want to build it out. I came this far using the resources and tools that got me to this point. So, you know, now I feel like the world is mine. I, I've gained even more resources since I started, you know, and I'm aware of that. One thing I would say I learned from Carl is just betting on myself and um, not only using, you know, like my dollars for influence, but using my likeness as well, using my relevance to open and be able to operate in different spaces, you know, and it's opened my mind to want to connect with different people in different industries and be able to, you know, lock in like things like on the sports side of things or, or anything in that nature or using my likeness to invest in certain companies. It's just, it's just so much we can do off off this little thing we call music and it's really opening my mind to a lot. Mm-hmm. I love all you guys' answers. That was nice. <laughs> so you guys are pretty, you guys are still like relatively very young and you know, you already have your company Eagle. Like where do you see it in the next like five, 10 years? Billion dollar company. You know, I'm not, I'm not shying away from, from blast is humble. Uh, Vic is humble as well. I'm humble, but you know, I think that the, the reality is, you know, we're, we're just aggressive. We want to go for it. Um, you know, we like music, we like sports, we like investment, we like community, um, and we like product. So, you know, we're just not going to stop building things and doing things that um, are fulfilling, are are positive for our community, and that are dynamic. And you know, if I felt like we weren't going to do that, I would never say something like, you know you know, this is going to be a, a billion dollar company, but I think we're, 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 we're really just starting. Like we really just started getting into a little bit of a group. You got to think COVID hit, um, mm-hmm. you know, there's so much time on the road. Um, you know, this is the first time in a while that Blast hasn't been on the road, right? He's always, you know, a tour and something coming up, you know, now we're, we're now we're in a different type of routine and rhythm and so much stuff's getting done. And so much stuff is being criticized and scrutinized. So we're able to sort of build and build and build. So um, I think I think we're going we're gonna to be there. Billion dollar mm-hmm. valuation. Have you guys run into any hurdles as a black owned company that you can share? Um, and how did you overcome them if you did? Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Uh, I'm, I'm, I wouldn't really, I, I can't really recollect like a real hurdle, hurdle we've met just from being a black company. I mean, I think the most common thing that everybody would assume, would assume, I mean, you see three young black men coming in and we not really like, I wouldn't say like we come in super formal, like we might wear basketball shorts and a hoodie to a meeting. <laughs> But I think it's always an assumption. Well, early on, it was assumption that, you know, like we were coming with the same get up. And we were coming with the same conversation as everybody else and just cared about the money and really wanted to move at fast pace. But um, I think most people were really shocked by the dialogue we have and the way we were able to elaborate and kind of like really break down what is what it is that we want and the reason why we want that as well. And the reason why we'd be like, you should really get this to us. So. You know, the the biggest thing between all of this, most of the time when you talk about music is people not understanding contracts and dialogue. So I think when we jumped over that hurdle, I think people start understanding that it was a much different program. And I feel like a lot of people, they want to 
start jumping into music, like specifically the business side of music now. So what's some advice you would have for like a college kid who's probably studying, I don't know, like music management or music business if they want to, you know, following your footsteps and also have their own brand? What's some advice you would give them? Like, what are some tools they need to have in order to do that? Well, I think you got to have like very specific traits when it comes to working in music. I mean, obviously, outside the artists, probably speaking from more me and Carl, we just have to be able to take ourselves out of the the situation most of the time and kind of like not be egomaniacs. And you got to be able to also take accountability. I think accountability is the biggest thing because most artists are dependent on the people that are closest to them to be accountable for them sometimes too, when they're not all the way in it or don't feel like being present all the way and just want to be creative. So I think just having that accountability factor, understanding that, you know, some things that you have to take the L on early on, rather than some people just being like, I want to be in a certain space. I mean, I, I can definitely speak for myself and say that I've been blast driver, security, manager, all different type of stuff early on in the career. But that was really just to get it across the finish line until it was time for us to be able to gain that type of money where we can pay security, pay a driver, pay people to actually perform those tasks. Carl, what about you? Do you have any advice from like a legal standpoint? Um, Yeah, I mean, for me, I would say you're going to just don't let those early losses sort of you know, um, dissuade you from, you know, pursuing a career in music. I think they're rough, right? Your first couple, you might try to manage your buddy or you might try to, some things, you might get cut out of a deal. Like all that stuff's happened to me before. I've, I've been repping a client and, you know, we got to the finish line and finally he's about to get a payday. And then they went with a traditional white law firm, right? And, you know, I lost mm. the deal. Um, wow. But it didn't dissuade me. It, 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 that, that stuff should be the things that drive you. So you can't you can't let those early losses or the the craziness of the music business sort of dissuade you um, in in your energy toward you know making a positive impact in in this game. And I think a lot of people do. A lot of people sort of take those early losses and um, they speak about this the music business in such a heinous way. And look, it is. There is like some bad things about the music business, but, you know, there's also a ton of positives. Like there is no barrier of entry. You don't got to have a college degree. You know, you could you could literally have your friend, you know, kind of give you an entryway into building a company and a business. And that's a beautiful thing. You know, I speaking from, you know, our community. Um, so just don't let them early losses, you know, dissuade you from from going all the going the distance. Mm hmm. And Blast, what about you? If there's an artist who's also thinking about um, forming their own team, what are some, you know, things they need to look at in order to do that and pick the right people? Yeah, I would definitely say, you know, after betting on yourself, which I feel is the most important thing to surround yourself with like minded people, you know, try to see traits that you that you honor within yourself and, and the next person and, and have those conversations. I feel like my team is everything. Because I'm a creator before anything. Although I am an executive as well, you know, I'm an artist at heart. So I lean on these two guys to pretty much allow me to live in that creative space authentically. And they handle a, a, a lot of the the tough situations where I can oversee a lot, of, a lot of things, but I'm still able to create. So I would say lean on your team, learn how to trust and learn how to fail quick. 
That's a great um, answer. Um, and since you guys mentioned like a lot of losses do happen early on, what are what's the one or not one? What are the wins that make all of your hard work worth it? Like, what's the reward from your you guys's um, job? Carl has a huge smile on his face. I was going to say that there there is no reward. You got to do it for the love of the game. <laughs> no, I'm, jo I'm joking. It, it, it's, <laughs> um, but I'm joking, but only to some extent because um, it, it, it doesn't end. It doesn't stop. Like the same problems that were there early are going to be there 10 years from now, three. Like we're still, me and Vic are still dealing with the same conversations, the same people. Obviously, we have a little bit more experience in um, gumption and our better ability to handle those situations. But, um, you know, you, you, you gotta be, it, you can't do it for the likes. You can't, you know, you don't, can't just say stuff like, you know, I, I want to be a legend. You gotta really do it because you care about the people you're working with. You're passionate about the ideas, um, and you want to execute, right? I think we're executionists. Like we don't, I don't want to spend too much time in the, the the fun sexy stuff. I don't want to look. I, I want to ex execute, execute, and execute. Tyler Creator talks about that, and you know, that's a guy who like his early thirties, and um, you know, he has a festival, he has a clothing brand, he you know has a a, a flourishing uh, publishing and recording business, and all that stuff's honorable. But he he talks about execution being being the thing that that he focuses on. So my last question would be, um, what is you guys' definition of a boss? I want to hear each of your perspectives on that, like the true definition of a boss. Uh, the true definition of a boss. I feel like a true definition of a boss is like you really don't even got to say it. People really see it on you and feel it on you, feel it in your aura when you actually navigate through these spaces, whether it be business or social. Um I think people can just get that just from you by the points you put on the board and not really what you say. Mm -hmm. Last, what do you think? I would say a boss is, you know, someone who wants to put people in position to win as well, you know, and I think it's, it starts with yourself. You know, you got to be the best version of yourself. And um, I would like to consider myself more so like a leader of it by, I lead by example. You know, I try to stay excited, try to stay in that loving mode. Like, I love what I'm doing. So I want people to love what they're doing as well, no matter what it, no matter what position they play. And, um, yeah, that, in a nutshell, that's what I think a boss is. Okay. And Carl, what's your definition? Um, I think, I think the uh, boss is really someone who understands the power of giving away power, right? You know, style it's not a everyone wants that decision making power but um you know a, a real good team a real good company there's balance there's shared responsibility we're all fighting for the same thing so um just understanding that um you know your power is something that you want to give away you want to empower others mm -hmm. okay great thanks guys is there anything else you guys want to share about your company um any future you know, activations, happenings, music, anything at all? Definitely cooking on this new album. You know, I'm in the studio 24-7, so I'm excited for my fans to hear the elevation of Blast. There's a yeah. lot of activations going on. I'm not sure when it's going to come out. We outside. You're going to catch it somewhere. Right. 
Okay, cool. Thanks, guys. Thanks for talking to me. This was a fun conversation. I learned a lot. <laughs> you, thank you. Back in that, back in that bag again. Whoa, whoa, yeah, yeah. Thank you for listening to this episode of Making the Boss. There's a lot more where that came from, so be sure to keep it locked for more shows coming soon. But in the meantime, you can follow me on Twitter at Aisha Thorpe and on IG at beauty underscore marked. That's M-A-R-K-E-D 92. Talk soon, my bosses and bosses in the making. Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.